All right, we're back at it again. We got a, a great guest here, um, Minnesota Viking fan favorite, a Minnesota legend, um, K fan personality, the one, the only superstar, Mike Morris. And we're really <laughs> excited to to have him on here today. Uh, a good session of of value, um, just kind of sharing his uh, his life story and what he's all been up to and. And uh, Mr. Morris, can you kind of shoot the listeners a back real quick for anyone that might not be familiar with you? Well, I mean, I, I don't think I don't think they missed anything on what you just said. I mean, heavy on the Mister too, by the way, Mister Morris, heavy on the Mister. And let's just start there, right? Uh, right. Do you want me to do this in Superstar or Mike Morris, or is it alter ego the whole show? I'll just keep it Mike Morris. He'll keep it simple. Uh, yeah, the other one you wouldn't want the superstar to come out and play. Uh, it's a, it's fun. It, I, my my whole deal has been about the fun. My whole thing has been about working really hard and trying to get where I wanted to go, which was professional football, and it ended up good. You know, starting off with the United, United States Football League for three years, eighty three, eighty four, eighty five, with the Michigan Panthers, the Arizona Outlaws, and then jumping into the NFL with uh, the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, in 1987 with Gene Stallings, uh, the great one, the legendary Gene Stallings. But ran the table for, for 13 years in the NFL. Played a long, long time, uh, backup offensive lineman the whole way, and uh, a long snapper. And uh, I was a survivor. I was a survivor of the NFL. You know, you, you just keep surviving. You don't, you don't really know how far you're going to go. Uh, the stats would have it. The mortality rate of an NFL player is about three and a half years, but uh, I, I went past that one. And it was because of my weight, were, weight room ethic, I think, that allowed me to keep going. I, I, I really almost felt that I would only be as good as my last offseason training. And so I took it very seriously, even just a long snap and back up on offensive line. So, But I think it was the weight room that got me the, the longevity. Yeah, no, 100%. And, you know, we looked at um, you bounced around um, NFL teams. You said the, that one old uh, professional football league. Um, you played Division Two. You were undrafted. Yeah. Um, that's a dog mentality, and to stick around in the NFL for that long, where yeah. normally people are out in two years. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Now, does this have to do with kind of your inner confidence? I mean, is this where the superstar comes out? Because not many people could battle all that adversity and, and keep their head high and, and do it. It's hard. It, it's difficult, you know. Coming from a small town in, in the middle of, uh, uh, well, southern Iowa, um, seven about seventy five hundred people, uh, and everyone's telling you, you know, you're not going to get out and play football after high school. Just play high school and get back and help your parents. You know, do what they go to the factory. Yeah, go, the farm. go do what you got to do on the farm and whatever. And uh, I just wasn't going to have it. And I always felt like, you know, who. Who's going to tell me from this town that I can't make it? They haven't made it. They didn't want to go out and do this. So how would they know that I can't make it? You know, that was my mentality. I was always stubborn-minded, really super stubborn-minded. And so I, that's what, and competitive at the same time. It made for a good combination. So I always felt like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of here. They really only built a fire a little higher for me to, to, to prove myself. You motivate know, you. To motivate me, and, and I, I was... I was not going to be denied, and so I just kept fighting away and fighting away at it, getting bigger all the time, getting stronger all the time. And I knew if I got big enough and strong enough that I could hold my own uh, in practices and tryouts that uh, eventually I'd be a good enough long snapper also to show them that, well, I also bring that bag of tricks with me, and I, I could stick around for a while. Talent stacking? You're really you're taking all the skills and making yourself um, can't take you away because you were a good locker room guy. I mean, obviously you stick with the Vikings as a long snapper for that long, you must have developed a 
good relationships to help you stay around. I did. I really did. I think if you surround yourself with good people, uh, that you have a better chance of sticking around because the, their habits, you know, uh, they 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 rub off on you, and and yours do on them. And I, you find good associations, and and uh, you stick with them, and you run into some good people in the NFL, hardworking people uh, that are that have that common denominator that you have, which is hard work and. You're not going to quit until you get what you want. What would you say that your most helpful, best relationship that you made in the NFL that helped you out the most? Like a mentor? Um, I think I think a great mentor. Uh, we just lost him about six months ago, John Michaels, when I finally got into, got here with the Vikings and I found the right chemistry and the right kind of team framework for my for myself uh, was because Johnny Michaels, who was the offensive line coach here for 29 years, uh, he was an outstanding mentor for me. Uh, outside of that, I had a, gr- a great roommate also. Uh, for six years, I had Randall McDaniel, uh, who's a Hall oh, of yeah. Famer. So I had Randall for six years uh, out of the nine years that I played here. And uh, you talk about other things rubbing off on people. I mean, I, the, for the one year that Jim McMahon played here, I was his roommate. So the, <laughs> yeah. there was a, there were a lot of there a lot of things that uh, a lot of things happened. You know, in, in a room with Jim McMahon. Uh, so there there are just countless stories and people that I would. As Alan Page once said, you know, when he retired, uh, I'm I'm a part of all that I've met, you know, and that's I I think that that's very true. I think you're a part of everybody that you've met. That's kind of who you are. That's why you are. One hundred percent. And experiences, travels. I mean, everything kind of shapes who you are, huh? I think so. I think it's all those learning experiences that you have when you're going through the through the ranks. You run into people you never know who you're going to cross paths with, and. And for me, it was the US, USFL, United States Football League. Uh, I survived all three years of that. And then jumped into the NFL where you run into a Gene Stallings who, who, who played for Bear Bryant, who was part of the Junction Boys uh, that survived Junction, Gene did. Uh, that rubs off on you. I mean, his toughness and his eight-week training, two-a-days camp, eight weeks of two-a-days in full pads every every time. That's two months of two-a-days. Be in prison now. They'd send him away. Yeah, he would be. He would be. But I I, I mean, I I feel like I'm a part of all that I've met. I I felt if I could survive that first rookie year in St. Louis with Gene Stallings at eight weeks, that I could do anything. You know, I I proved that I could make his team. I, I played all year that year, went through a strike season. You learn from all that stuff. You run into great people. I played with Neil Lomax and Roy Green with those teams. And then you move on to the next team. You learn something from that outfit. You know, I went on to the, uh, I think after uh, St. Louis, I went out to Washington with the Redskins and Joe Gibbs brought me in. So then I had a, a, a small stop there. I went with Kansas City with Marty Schottenheimer. Uh, ran, I have good friends still in this area, John Alt. Those are all the people that I've met. I had Cleveland. Uh, I went. I actually went uh, New England first with the Patriots and played for Ray Berry up there. And then I came down Seattle, Cleveland, went uh, with Bud Carson, uh, Cleveland with the Cleveland Browns, and then into the next season with Bill Belichick. So you learn a lot from people like that. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm fascinated with this, though. So Division Two North uh, Eastern Missouri. Northeast Missouri State, yeah. Northeast Missouri. It's Truman good, State too. now. They're good. They were good. We, we, you know, we always won nine or ten games. We always won a lot of games. Uh, they're, they're, it's Truman State now. I don't know how they did this time around. My old teammate Greg Nesbitt, a uh, good running back when I played there, um, he's the head coach there still. But I mean, my my quarterback back then was Greg Williams, who got caught in the bounty gate. Yeah, yeah. Little, little defensive wow. coordinator for the Saints. I'm all that I. I mean, I'm a part of all that I've met, and all those guys were. I mean, they ended up being in the NFL and. 
That was a bit, uh, I've known all those guys, and it, it's, it's, but, but Greg Williams, quarterback, easy, meek and mild, gets into the NFL, becomes a defensive, you know, I mean, just an amaz- amazing coach. They, they probably should have had him as a head coach longer in Buffalo, which he was, uh, and with the Redskins, but things happened, turned out the way they did for him. But I knew Greg really well. And I didn't think he would be part of Bounty Gate, <laughs> which, by the way, has been going on forever in the NFL. Yeah, mm-hmm. It still continues. Yeah. They, they just don't call it Bounty Gate, but <laughs> the Saints got hit for it. But uh, yeah, I could just keep going on and on. But Belichick. You live and learn by by his way yeah. of doing things too. The master, the master. But but so Mike, this mindset. This is what I'm fascinated with because you're the division two, the undrafted, um, the USF, the old uh, professional USFL. league. Then you're you're a journeyman through the NFL. I mean, how do you keep you know saying you know what? I just want to be done. I'm going to quit. Why did you keep pushing? How did you think you could do it? It's a it, it is just the fact that you're getting to play the game that you always wanted to play. I wasn't missing any games in between there. I was always making a full paycheck, and that, I thought, you know, it doesn't come much better than this. If I run into the right situation, I get a better crack as an offensive lineman, which I did here with the Vikings. Um, then I became a legit backup at center and guard, and uh, I, but I could long snap with anybody. You know, I could long snap with absolutely anyone. Uh, still to this day, I can walk out there and be better than all of them. I think so. Uh, we'll never know. But... <laughs> Uh, but I, I do believe it, and I still know I can, to be honest. I'm still benching close to 500 pounds. But, uh, I mean, I, I I wouldn't be too far off. I know that much. See, I love this. And you still have your freaking confidence. And that's the whole superstar persona. And that's it. I Is think this, that's a lot of it. Do you, did you, do you put this on for show? Did you just say, hey, I'm going to believe I'm this? And maybe sometimes you didn't think that way, but then it slowly transformed to uh, now we have the full confidence. Yeah, it it does. It it, it, tra- it happens. It transforms with finally landing it here and be and having a long enough time for it to stick and for it to continue on to another year and more chemistry. And now I'm on the radio all the time. There are, people are noticing this in the locker room, and I'm playing heavy metal in the locker room, and I'm that guy that rides in on a motorcycle and a you know a chain wallet uh, hanging on my out of my back pocket and. Like this guy's a this guy's nuts. But it's like you manifest it too. It's not but like it manifests. You, it does. And I just I just kept going with what I with what I was doing the whole time was having fun, just having fun. And I was just it was coming out of me. I would just pull stunts and raise holy hell away from it and have pull my pranks. But I always had a mindset of you better be serious when you get out there between the hashes. All the baloney you're pulling out here, you better be able to back it up and at least do your job and back up and know that, let them know you're serious between the hashes. And then you can go have your fun and everyone's going to have a good time with me. Uh, but but it, unfortunately for me, I became a, a media darling, if you will, because I was pulling stunts all the time and becoming more like a gladiator or WWE uh, sort of personality. How did you uh, get that superstar nickname? Well, there we go. That's a yeah. good. That's a good one. Uh, training, uh, training out of uh, Paradise Valley, Arizona, for my off-season training. I trade along the side, alongside uh, the superstar Billy Graham, a uh, great wrestler. He filled up Madison Square Garden every time he he wrestled there. Uh, Wayne Coleman was his name, and uh, Wayne and I became good friends at Thorbeck's Gym out in Arizona, big time powerlifting gym in Arizona. So we trained really hard. We had all kinds of people in that, some characters in that gym as well. But the superstar, uh, we became close friends. When I started working on radio here uh, at the fan, uh, I was filling in from time to time behind or in front of Jesse the Body Ventura. Oh, Jesse. Wow. 
who thought that he was the superstar Billy Graham all the time. He was a knockoff of the superstar. Well, he came up and said, you know, you know, there's only one superstar, and that's Billy Graham, not you. You can't use superstar. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm going to call myself the superstar Mike Morris. That's the way it goes. I'm on the Common Man Dan Cole show, and my moniker is the superstar Mike Morris. I like the way it sounded when I ran to Billy Graham down in Arizona, so I thought that's cool. If I use moniker, I'm going to go with that one. Mm-hmm. Well, Jesse had a big problem with it. Well, I said, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to call Wayne Coleman down in Paradise Valley. His wife answers the phone. I said, is, is Billy in? And she said, I'll see if Star's around. You know, see if Star, <laughs> oh, yeah. I said, oh, Star? And she goes, well, yeah, I mean, his, his friends call him Star. Oh, oh, okay. No, it didn't, it's not Superstar, it's Star if you're his friend, okay? So this is all becoming a, a big game for me. This is fun. So uh, I said, Wayne, guess what? Uh, Billy Grant, uh, uh, Jesse the Body Ventura is having a problem with with us using them, not us, but I'm using the superstar as my moniker on radio. And he doesn't like it, he hates it. He goes, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. I'll call in on the show tomorrow. When's your next show? I'll call in and I'll make you the superstar Mike Morris on the air. <laughs> and and you can be my long lost illegitimate son from Bloomington because he wrestled here in the AWA with Vern Gagne. I said, sounds good, that sounds pretty good. So. Wayne calls in right on cue. I'm doing the I'm doing the the, the show uh, and filling in for somebody, but he calls in and he does the whole thing, the whole spiel. He bequeaths the, the superstar name to his long lost son that he knew he could find sooner or later, and now he's found me. And you're the superstar Mike Morris on the air. And I get out of the chair and I walk out of the studio and in walks Ventura to do to do his show next. Fuming. <laughs> Fuming. And so I got a hold of Wayne, and I said, "It worked. It worked just, <laughs> it worked just right." And so I, and by the way, that that was how it, it stuck. So it stayed the superstar Mike Morris the whole yeah. time. That was the alter ego right then. And some some people would call me Rats Repus, uh, the alter ego of the superstar. I had mm-hmm. a good and bad guy of the superstar. Rats Repus is superstar spelled backwards. So um, like that, that became that became a black a dark side of the superstar. Yeah, I go in layers. I peel back like an onion. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I got a lot of I got a lot of go to. Yeah. I love but, that. I love that. Now, I mean, if you're naming these names that you've been in contact with, you know, Ventura, Jim McMahon, Belichick, uh, so many names, a lot of characters, a lot of personality, a lot of successful people. What is it about you that attracts them? Because you're you're. Is it something with your free spirit that... Yeah, I've always wondered that myself. That's a great question. It really is. Well, Bill, Bill Belichick, I I mean, I played for him. Yeah. I didn't attract him to me necessarily, but uh, but I played for him. I've, I've run across a lot of people because I prepared and I worked really hard to try and get to the place that I wanted to go where I would eventually inevitably run into some really great people at a high level because that's where they exist, right? At the, in the, at the NFL level, at that level, you're going to run into some really great players and eventually, and a lot of them, as you know, I mean, a lot of them are characters. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what kind of, every one of them are like live wires. That's that's how football players are wired. That's most just, people that are successful. They're yeah, different. I, and I think, I think that most people, in fact, that are willing to step outside of the box. In, yep. fact, in fact, the people that I ran around with, and I believe there never was a box. Like, there's not a box. Like, don't pretend that you're thinking outside of the box. There was never a box. It was limitless, you know. So that's that's how I 
sort of looked at things was who said there was a box anyway, you know. Where, where did that come from? Me. The, <clears throat> no, but as a kid, I mean, growing up, and this this free spirit, can you, I love this. This is a lot what we talk about, this <clears throat> mindset and getting out of the comfort zone and uh, being yourself, kind of um, not being held down by inhibitions and what everyone thinks of you. Um, where is this coming from and how can you expand on that? There's a, there's a mentality that I think that you, you, you come up with. Some of it's born within right from day one. Number two is how, you, how seriously you take yourself and how much does it really matter to you internally if anyone, if what, what anyone really cares about you or not. Because if you don't care what anyone really thinks, you either like me the way I am or not, you can answer to you in the mirror. But anyone else can think whatever they want. And I, you know what, fine. I've got, I mean, I've got plenty of enemies too. That's fine too. I mean, they, that, they're entitled to that thought uh, or whatever they think of me. But I don't really care. Like if you, we can either choose to, to talk or we can choose to just part ways right here. And I don't care which way it is. You know, it, re- it really doesn't matter to me. I've got life to live. I'm going to live it the way I want to. Uh, I, you know, I, I handle myself professionally I, and, and I treat people well and I try to keep my, myself, uh, you know, buttoned down and put together. But there's just the raw side of me that I don't really care what you thought of that. I, I mean, I'm, I treat people right. And, and my father, that, that, that goes back, I guess, to my upbringing is that you keep your nose clean and... On your way to the top, if, if this gets good, just don't forget those people as you're rising that, the, that you're going to have to get out of football sometime. And when you come down, hopefully one of those people will give you a job because uh, you're going to need another job after football. It's going to be a short-lived process. He was wise enough to say that to me back then, and I believed every word of it. I believed every word of it. That tr- Treat people right. You're going to come back down. I mean, uh, maybe not down but you're going to you have to change jobs you're going to change occupation you might keep up with the same level of income whatever the case but this football thing is going to go away you're not going to get to act like this at the regular day-to-day stuff even though i do but (laughs) it's a it's worked that that way that way that mindset and that mentality and that work ethic uh, that he gave to me inspired me to be that way how can someone develop that no box thinking free spirit this is who I am. Mentality. Is there? I think I think it develop, it's developed from within, from confidence, from believing in yourself, for speaking up for yourself, not being walked on, um, being held, making yourself accountable, and not relying on anybody else to to present anything to you on a silver platter. I never thought anything was going to come and end up in my lap on a silver platter. I'd probably have to go out and get it and find it myself, and cultivate and. Uh, nourish relationships that I, I want I was interested in being part of and not uh, not making the best of an opportunity you know I wanted to, if I had a shot at something I wanted to give it my best shot and make my best impression uh, because you don't, you don't get second chances to make first impressions you just don't so you think there's also something to say because I mean your whole life has been putting yourself out there right once you kind of get out of that little comfort box or the box that doesn't exist, don't you start realizing that it's not as scary as you probably thought it was and that life moves on and you're not, the end of the world doesn't happen. Is that what you dealt with? So true. I think that's a good way of putting it. Is that when you you do finally cross the line and get out there a little bit and that, that risk reward thing, if you're willing to take the risk and it turned out well, it's not that you do it every time, it's you'll get shot in the foot. Uh, from time to time but 
if you're the kind of person that believes in sticking your neck out there and giving it a shot, giving it your best shot, uh, and not letting people tell you, which I had earlier, um, where people said it wasn't going to be like that. Well, if you're just stubborn enough to believe it and it works out and you succeed at it, then it gives you more confidence in the future to, to try things, to try. The main thing is you try. I mean, at least try your hardest, right? The main thing is to be um, someone who tries, someone who gives back, someone who will reach over, help, help a guy up by the hand and bring him along who can't do it, be a, a man of your times, and, and, go, and carry on through life. It's not a long thing. It's not a long life. So do the best you can with it and live it the way you want to live it because you only get one short, brief uh, stint on the, on the face of this earth. Uh, so I, that, I'm making the best of it, you know? So not being afraid of failure and sounds like being secure with yourself. I, yeah, you know what? Failure is part of what made me who I am. It's, oh. it's part of getting uh, knocked down and knocked right on your ass and getting getting back up and dusting off and, and going back in and fighting harder. Hit the ground running and fight the good fight. And and you know what? If, if you didn't make it again, fine, so be it. But you can go back, you know, the old analogy, the, the old cliche is you can go back, look in the mirror and, mm -hmm. and say, at least I tried. At least I tried my hardest. I gave so it my best shot. Failure is almost necessary at times. I don't know how you. I don't know how you could get by, and become successful without it, mm -hmm. because until you know the other side of the table, you have no perspective. And the guys who are, the guys who are gifted, truly, truly gifted, and I never considered myself one of those. I, I consider myself more of a product of hard work and determination than than giftedness. So, uh, but but. They are spoon-fed the entire way, and they have a pretty good run until they run into, oh, guess what? I don't really work at it that hard. I'm getting older, and now I'm going to fall off, and I don't know what to do about it. I don't know how to put in a full day's work to maintain this. Mm -hmm. And you see them fall away right away. I, uh, I found a great quote yesterday, and we put it on, uh, I think, our, our Instagram page. It's, embarrassment is the cost of entry. If you aren't willing to look like a foolish beginner, You'll never become a graceful master. That's, you know, put that up in, in writing above your wall every day. Put that up right on, you know, on a sign in front of that mirror that you answer to at night. That's perfect. That's great. That's it, perfect. And Mike, here's what I kind of want to talk about too, because when we started this podcast, or it seems like anyone who's ever really put themselves out there or, or done things like you, um, obviously playing the NFL, being the superstar, doing the KFAM power trip, mm -hmm. you know, once you throw yourself out there, you get a lot of the, the critics or the people and you did, how, how did you deal with, you know, handling them? And like that quote is like, you're going to get embarrassed. How do you deal with that embarrassment to keep improving, to become successful? I, th I think when you're dealing with the masses and talking to a lot of people every day on the air, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. You're going to cut your teeth, you're, whether it's uh, live radio or whether it's TV. And they or, pick apart every little they thing. They pick apart every little thing and it's all about the ratings and it's all about... You know, wow, you know, he was good, he was bad, I hate him, I like him. Well, that's fine. I, I would throw out, and as hard as I could, who I was every day and do it objectively. Because I knew that at the end of the day, it'd still come off as me. I'd be consistent with my takes if I said what I really felt and not lie about it and then have to go back and remember the lie to, to back it up the next time or if someone caught me on it uh, to ask me again, why did you say this two months ago and now it's, uh, so you never get caught up in that. You always deliver the absolute top of what's coming to the top of your head or the tip of your tongue. 
when you're doing live radio. And I, I go, it goes back to not really necessarily caring who or, wh- or how many people think what they think. In r- live radio, where ratings are everything, you can get people bored for loving you. You can get a lot of people waiting to hear the next dumb thing he's going to say. <laughs> but they're on the radio, and the ratings are still there. I'll take those guys, too. They're making the ratings for me, too. So if you hate me and you're tuning in every day to hear what you hate me you hate me saying every time, I bills. win, I win, <laughs> I win. And uh, the, the people, the fact is, is, you get two, three, four people over here that can't stand you, hate everything about you, and you get 200 people who like you. And those are the people you want in your life. That's right? fine. That's fine. I'll take those people. I'm there for them. I never knew who I was talking to until I would get phone calls live on the air. And it was some guy who's, who's telling me, you know what? I drive a truck for a living. Two to 300 miles a day around the state of Minnesota. I hear you every morning. You're like another guy in my truck with me every single morning. I feel like you're in my truck next to me. I schedule my chemotherapy so that I can come back from the chemotherapy and hear your show to get me through it. Wow. Yeah. That, that you don't know who you're talking to. You're, you're being scheduled so that the chemo takes place so you can recover and hear something that makes you laugh, smile, you're interested in it, it entertained you to keep your mind off the pain or, you know, whatever the chemo was. I get a lot of those. Yeah. I talked about the weight room. You inspired me to start lifting weights and powerlifting. Uh, I became that. I lost 100 pounds. Yeah, I get that. And doctors called in, lawyers called in and had me come and speak to them. I mean, I I played, you know, the part of the superstar and uh, the buffoon sometimes. It didn't matter. Whoever I needed really the star to be that day, Um, you you could pull it off and, and you could be dumb as a fox. Yeah, but, I was, but just I was, play the part of dumb. It's, it's, it's there's an art to it. It really is. Oh yeah, true. Yeah, totally. There's and, an art to it. And uh, and then the public doesn't know they're getting played. You know what I mean? But that that's another topic. And but, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I, I relied on I relied on that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's hilarious. I was I was watching the, this podcast. It's a big one, and they were talking about how when they get some bad comments or you know the haters and but they then they. They forget about the thousands of people they're making a difference for, and they worry about ten people that are like, "Oh, I didn't like how you said this." And but um, what I really think is neat, and you kind of talked about it being that realness, saying the truth, and and is that why um, those people like the Belichicks, the McMahon's, not Belichick, McMahon, uh, Jesse Ventura, all those people that—that's how you probably got in contact with them because you were your true self in those. That's how you attract them? I think so. It's 100%. I definitely think so. I, I, I think that a lot of my personality was out there for people to know even before it hit this, before I met them. You know, Jim McMahon came to the team in 1993. I'll never forget being in Berlin, Germany, playing over there. And uh, That's a crazy city. That's a crazy city, I'm sure you know. There, yeah. So I'm playing there at Olympia, Olympic, Olympia Stadium, uh, the, play, the same venue that... Hitler marched his troops and all the red flags, and the, you know, that was where we played. Jesse Owens ran in front of Hitler in that stadium. Well, uh, McMahon was new to the team. I would lost my old roommate through Plan B free agency to the Denver Broncos. Um, he was coming in brand new, so we were holed up in, at Gage Hall, you know, and McMahon had heard, heard about me and the, and the pranks and the, and the loose cannon thing, you know. So he... Wants a new roommate. We're supposed to partner up for the road and all the road games and hotels for at home, by the way. 
So he comes running down the field at in Berlin, like three or four hundred yards, because these fields are lined up side by side forever, forever. And you know the Bills are over here, and the Vikings are over here, and some of the quarterback drills are all the way down here. Well, Denny and Jim Kelly and all those guys are over here, running different different drills over here. The offensive linemen are over here, warming up, doing stuff. And here comes McMahon out of nowhere, running all the way down the field to tell me that he he and I were in a room room together. Jim McMahon. So he's running around. He's Denny is screaming at him to get his ass back where he should be in the drill. He's part of the drill, and he's already asked Denny if we can room. He doesn't want me to pair up with somebody else before he gets to me. I don't know Jim McMahon that well, but he heard about me, and he goes, hey, we're going to room. Hey, you and I are going to be roomies. And McMahon is screaming this at the top of his lungs and running around me in a circle. He does a loop around me and heads back because Denny is absolutely livid right now, screaming at him from like 300 yards away. So those are, yeah, McMahon was attracted to me somehow. I don't know how the word got out. That's just a long way of putting it, but he had known about my reputation around the Vikings and wanted that kind of roommate so he could carry on and do, do his thing, and he did. Uh, and that was the point I was trying to make, is that once you put yourself out there, once you are yourself, it seems like the right people come yeah. to you. Yeah, they the do. The attraction they starts. Do. I mean, it's nuts. They do. And it's that's what's kind of trippy about me and you. Yeah. I mean... I, I believe I like to put myself out there, and, and I guess, I've I guess. heard a lot about you in the superstar Mark Mike Morris, and yeah. and now that you're on my podcast right now, yeah. it's yeah. it's pretty interesting how it works. It's funny how it goes. It really is. You never know who you're going to run into, you know. And the way to handle yourself is is with the Bill Belichick way of doing things. He's got the four standards, you know, that he lives by. That he it's posted in the locker room in every any every place. Cleveland, New England, now it's a dynasty. Uh, is uh, don't believe the hype. Uh, speak up for yourself. Uh, ignore the noise, and uh, manage expectations. That those are his four rules. Just li- live and learn by those, and have and pay attention to everything. Everything. Notice everything. You want to go into those rules for us? It just means don't don't say someone said. Uh, I heard that. You know, someone told me. Speak for yourself. What do you know about this? You either don't know or you don't care. You either do your... What's, what, what is the painting above the, the drinking fountain out in the hallway there? What is the, the painting? Mural? No, that's oh. what he would ask us. Oh, well, yes, you guys. Because you're not aware of it. Little things. Like, what is... He would ask, like, who knows what the game picture is of above the drinking fountain that you're at every day or every other day? So it's Maybe one brain. guy being aware of everything around you and knowing and studying to the greatest detail... Understanding what crew's coming to town to officiate the game, what do they call the most, what kind, what reputation do they have as a crew that work together? They're calling a lot of holding, a lot of pass interference. Let's know this about these guys. Everything. So it's the little details. About Attention to detail. You know, this yeah. is fascinating because this goes into we always kind of speak about uh, when you go traveling and your your awareness is so open and you notice things and you're happy and you're kind of like outside your head, but you're like more alive, right? You're more yourself. Absolutely. And it's like when you get back into the everyday routine, Absolutely. you don't notice that pain above the fountain. You're on autopilot. You don't, you're not seeing things Absolutely. as clear. Your brain's not as functioning on uh, yeah. that, that complete awareness. That's it. If you're locked in, he doesn't necessarily want you locked in on one thing. He wants you locked in on everything. 
And if you don't know something, being present, being present, it's like, don't be so locked in that you're blind by everything else that you should know because you're only tunnel vision on one thing. Notice everything going on around you. The whole thing counts to him. So when, when he says, you blow a play and you see a veteran blow a play out there in practice and he'll walk up and ask the veteran football player, what happened there? Serious question. And the guy basically, uh, you know, I don't know. Well, he'll look at you like you're crazy. What do you mean you don't know? You either didn't know or you didn't care. Which one is it? Right in front of everybody. You either don't know or you don't care. Like you either didn't care to open your playbook like all those guys did, or you did open the playbook, you still don't understand it, and that's why you don't know. That's why you blew the play. And then, God forbid, if you see an older guy that starts, get a correction like that, and you step up and make the same mistake, he'll, he'll, he'll cut you. He'll cut you. Because you didn't take a mental note of what the veteran starter got and weren't listening, so you didn't care either about the same thing. You're gone. You know, that's how he runs it. That's how he runs well, it. What is it like? Uh, I don't know what year you were there with him, but his presence, that Belichick. That's the, that's I got him when he was a brand new head coach. He was a, he was a, it was his first year as a head coach from the New York Giants. He was a Bill Parcells uh, off that tree. Oh, you was at Cle- you were at Cleveland with him. Yeah. Oh, that's where he had the rough years, right? Uh, yeah. No, he had the fir- it was his first year. Then I then I came to the Vikings. So I was part of his first ever team meeting as a head coach. How was that? That's same person still. Same person. He, he looked up at the, at the top of the amphitheater and he saw Bernie Kosar and Clay Matthews and Webster Slaughter and those guys carrying on up there. They were the veteran guys from the AFC Championship Games and everything else. They were carrying on up at the top of, the, of our room, our auditorium. He calls all three of them down. First meeting, he calls all three of these guys down and makes them sit in the front row. This is, he goes, that's where you guys, this is where I want you guys to be from now on, okay? I don't like guys talking in the middle of my meetings or talking over me when I'm trying to talk. And I've been waiting a long time to be a head coach and I'm not going to fuck it up. <laughs> Worked out pretty good for him. But that's what he said. That's what he said. I was right there when he said it, first meeting. Did you feel that you were in the presence of yeah. someone special? Yeah, I knew. Jerry Simmons came to me, the strength coach with the Cleveland Browns, and he said, do you know that we had to take the two, the number one and the number two draft choices last night at 1230? and go over to the track to run them. Yeah, I, I got to tell you something. Belichick made me grab a flashlight and a whistle and a stopwatch. And Ed King and our first-round draft choice back then was a defensive back. I forget his name. He passed away. But um, regardless, I think it was Eric Turner. That's what it was. Eric Turner, number one draft choice. He made those guys walk out. To, they flew in late, signed late, like two days late, and he made him climb a chain link fence, eight feet, chain link, it was locked. The gates were locked at the college. So Jerry, big Jerry, the strength coach said, he made us climb that chicken link fence with flashlights and cones to set up for the same drills you guys ran because he wasn't gonna let them skate out on having to do those drills that you guys did. They needed to get caught up. And he went over the fence too. First day head coach. So I'm like, man, this is this guy's serious. You know, he's serious. I mean, he's not joking around here. He went over the fence at midnight. 
after they got him signed, after Mike Lombardi got him signed, they went over the fence. I mean, that's, I don't, I don't know if I've ever heard of that one, ever. That's crazy. But also he has six Super Bowl championship rings uh, and probably two or three with the Giants. I'll bet he has nine Super Bowl championship rings. Giants as an assistant coach, yeah. and then his, his six. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, um, yeah. Another person, I know I want to get the focus back on you, but you you got these stories and these people. Um, another person I'm fascinated with is Jesse Ventura. And, uh, I mean, going from the wrestler to, you know, politics to governor. And if it wasn't for Jesse, I don't know if uh, Trump would have made his uh, forte in the, in the politics. Cause Jesse kind of was the light of uh, no political experience. I'm going to come in here and change things. I mean, he's a special person too. What do you, what do you, uh, what have you learned from Jesse Ventura? Well, I think I, I, you learn more of what not to do uh, with Jesse. I mean, he he was a character. I mean, I, let's face it, we saw him in the movies and Predator and all that other yeah. stuff. Watched him wrestle. He had the he had the mouth. He could mug a camera. He could uh, he could talk. Obviously, he could talk himself into jobs that literally you don't know how in the world he could possibly do it. But he was a color commentator for the Vikings live on the air at KFAN for a long time when I was still playing. He didn't play any football. He was color commentary. <laughs> along. He was with the, he was with Dan Rowe and Dave Huffman, three-man booth. He got himself in the booth doing Viking games, riding on the bus and the planes with us. He'd come into our oh, rooms wow. at night. Yeah, he did. No, he did. He was on with them. I'd look it up. Uh, I don't know how many years. He, he must have done that two or three years. Then he got his show at, at the fan, and then they had to, had to cut him from that, had to release him because he wanted to, to run for governor. You had to provide equal time for the other guy running or other candidates. And so they either had to offer the other guy as much time as he had on the air or release him. Well, they had to release him. Yeah. And he, but he won the thing. Yeah, you won the government. But he won it. And uh, he wanted me to raise money for him. Out of the, he wanted me to raise cash from the, from the Viking locker room for him. I didn't do it. So he got mad at me, of course. <laughs> I was supposed to be on a train with him to, to Aspen, Colorado to do a to do a skiing event with all of our fans on the train. It got postponed, or, or, uh, or the money end of it fell through. But he and I were supposed to be sleeping together on the same boxcar all the way out to Vail. It was Vail, Vail, Colorado. Well, how about this, Mike? You talk about no box. It sounds like a guy that there's no box there. He None. does, does whatever he wants. Whatever. And it's amazing. Absolutely. No question in my mind. Jesse the Body Ventura thinks a lot like I always thought growing up. I, I basically fell into the same... Same issue, or the same, the same uh, mindset, if you will, as Ventura has. Yeah, basically, very much so. We can call him right now too, if you want to. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Might as well. Just yeah, I, I still have that. But that mindset is just fascinating. You just no, no limits. No and, holds barred. No holds it. barred. Literally, <laughs> literally. So you're gonna, you say you're gonna. Oh call well, him? I don't know if we're gonna call him right now. You never know what you're gonna get. He'll probably, he'd sue us for something. <laughs> he'd probably sue us for some reason. For an infringement, he didn't get paid to do this, yeah, so he okay didn't consent to it. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, I, but, but I do know him very well, and uh, we've had we've had our our fun together, and we've had our fallouts. But yeah. I love that part of it too. Yeah, it's, I, it's good to have a fallout with Jesse the Body Ventura because growing up as a kid, I didn't think that would ever be I'd ever be talking to him even. Yeah. Well, what you did though, because well, you didn't. But I did. Oh, yeah. did I? I and I, you know, I fell into the same category that he recognized and saw. It's like that. That guy's doing a lot of what I do, you know. So, 
became an actual huge issue that I was trying to be the superstar when he, in fact, was calling himself Jesse the Body Ventura, who was trying to be the superstar Billy Graham. He was trying. He was trying to knock it off the whole way. The book, the you know, the bolos and the the tie dye T shirts and the and the beard and the and the chops and the that was superstar Billy Graham. But he didn't want anyone to know that. That was Jesse the Body Ventura. No, we all, we know what you were doing. So you think he was almost like envious that you got the superstar nickname? Oh, absolutely! It just made him fume. And then it came from Wayne Coleman on the air live. He knew who Wayne was. Yeah, absolutely knew who Wayne Coleman was. Wayne was a, a great track athlete, a decathlon <clears throat> athlete out of California. I think he went to. Uh, um, it, it doesn't matter, but I think he went to University of California actually. Wow, lots of lots of good stuff here. I, I want to I want to keep it going. Um, it's just uh, it's it's fascinating the, the mindsets and then what it, the limiting beliefs, what people put on themselves, and if you just get outside of that, like the the possibilities, the world is open now. What kind of negatives have had effect on your life because of the way you live, or do you regret nothing? Oh, I, th- I think you have you have regrets. I think we're all very human. We have regrets, and that. But the only difference between me is. And maybe maybe a lot of other people, and uh, you know, I'm just speaking for myself here, Bill Belichick. I'm just going to speak for myself. Is that I regretted doing a few things, but I've always been able to bounce back up, and uh, continue on, march, keep marching, right? You let your feet, let those. your feet hit the floor in the morning, and know that you're going to go to work, and not uh, be set back by it. You're going to have your setback. You know, it's it's going to take you down a notch or two, but you're going to have to. If you're the kind of person that you believe you are, you know. You, you're sitting there at night laying and, and staring at the ceiling fan it's just twirling hypnotic uh, and telling you like what are you going to do tomorrow morning you know you can either beef about this some more or you can get up and and attack you know attack your day yeah. which is Dan Gable's way of looking at things you know it's attack when in doubt attack that, that's a good point you brought up um, what happens when you do start questioning that belief that like maybe I don't think I, <clears throat> I am what I thought I was have you had that before? Absolutely. I think we all do. And I think you have to sit there and think about it. And that's when you're tested. That's when you're te- You really don't know much about yourself anyway until you're faced with some adversity. So uh, you're really not a full-grown man until you've had some of that too. Uh, and when you can live through a few of those things to know that, you, you know, it wasn't the end of the, it wasn't the end of the, of the journey. Uh, the light is still there at the end of the tunnel. You still have a, you still have a long ways to go. Uh, and you got plenty of time to get there. And get, but it depends on how you want to get up in the morning and hit the ground. That's the one. You have two choices, good attitude or bad attitude. You know, you hit the ground with a good attitude or a bad attitude. No other choice. It's what you do. It's how you funnel good and bad throughout your life and how you filter it and how you compartmentalize each one of those things. If you can, if you can make good out of something, or just deal with that person that gives you the worst time, somehow get through that and figure a way to deal with and connect with that person and get through that. You're you're gonna be able to you're gonna be able to win out more often than not. If you can find a way, create a way to maneuver and, and handle a certain person or a difficult uh, personality conflict or whatever whatever the case may be, you still have to punch the clock. You gotta put in a full day's work. Um so Moving off of that, I just, I got to know, I got to get some of your best locker room stories from the NFL. Wow. One that sticks out. One that just... Well, I can just tell you that, you know, it's it's always good to be able to challenge the rookies and, and 
force them to drink a gallon of milk if, if they can. <laughs> I've always got money for you. If you can drink a gallon of milk and keep it down for 30 minutes, which we all know is impossible, but it's always worth it because you can watch a guy throw up a gallon of milk, and that's the be- that's the beauty of it. Uh, or not, or not, the, or not the beauty of it. Depends what you then you got, then you got things that you, you know. Probably I regret. The, I might regret, you know, them handcuffing me once to a, to a pillar with real handcuffs down in the locker room, because of mouthing off and stealing their trucks and parking them somewhere else around the building, but like like two or three blocks away, and they caught me doing it, and so they handcuffed <laughs> me for a whole meeting to the pillar down there with real handcuffs. Of course. My motto was, I'm, I'm going to get you back, and I'm going to get you back worse. So I did. I would throw watches. I mean, i throw all their clothes, watches in pockets, everything in the hydrotherapy tank that everybody had. So I'd dump all their clothes at the bottom of it. I didn't check their pockets. So their billfolds and their Rolexes and everything would go to the bottom with it. And, of course, that got me more of the same. So, But I was a glutton for punishment. I, I didn't really care. So I'd set her their car up and take the wheels off the back of their car and leave that out in the parking lot, too. I had a lot of time. I was a long snapper, so I would just... And I was too big to mess with, too, by the way. You couldn't just you wrestle me. You look great right now. Yeah, look huge right I was now. Too big, I was too big to play with or to beat up single-handedly. You had to come and get me as a group, right? Because I wrestled, and I definitely was not worried about one guy, so... Yeah, I feel I feel pretty good. I'm 59. Any any uh, love boat stories like the the Vikings at Lake Minnetonka? Were you Those, I wasn't part of. I was, I was I on the fan, but I nothing like that. <laughs> I, don't know if there, I don't know if there are too many things like that one. Uh, if you really knew knew the details of that one, that was just so far out there. That was I mean that doesn't happen <laughs> very often. That one does not. I don't think it does. I hope it doesn't. I don't know many details, but the ones you do get, I'm sure we're all in the paper. Uh, there were some nasty things going on in that boat, though. Yeah, I remember Fred Smoot. I think he came out recently with like the full details of what happened, like on a on a podcast, and yeah, they were. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> that was that was right out there. I, I can't really say whether any of it was true or not, but my word, I mean, if any, if even half of that's true, it's pretty pretty gritty. You have to hope that that doesn't happen very often. Can you give any details about it? I wish I knew the details. I wish I knew. I, I just remember a lot of guys denying that they were on the boat to begin with. A lot of them were just rolling dice in the back of the boat, literally. They're rolling craps and playing games back there. And then some guys were not. But they were rolling craps with their career. But, yeah, I mean, we put the fun in dysfunction. No question about it. We, 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 we put the fun in dysfunction. Another great story away from the field was that I stole a van once accidentally. From the Cub parking lot, and uh, <laughs> just stole that, stole a van. How do you accidentally steal a van? Um, had my mom's van, uh, visiting my kids, had me blocked in. I said, "Throw me your keys. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go down to Cub." And uh, it was late at night, and I needed some silver dollars for my my son's. Uh, he lost a tooth, and I was gonna put a silver dollar underneath his pillow. So I called down there, and I found out that they had some in the till that came through, and. I was going to go down and buy it from him, and when I came back outside, it was about 11.30 at night, I jumped into somebody else's van with my mom's keys. <laughs> Identical van with my mother's keys. So I got about halfway back to Rosemont, uh, where I was living, and the the sirens came on, and the, yeah, the, 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 the lights came on, and I had to pull over for him, and it was a grand theft auto. Yeah. 
Did you realize you'd taken the wrong van? No, not until I backed up with the keys in my hand. They told me to back up toward the squad car, and I backed up and uh, noticed that there were Minnesota plates, and my mom is from Iowa. So <laughs> I looked at the keys in my hand and still had her, her tag on it and all of her little stuff on her key tag, and I thought, these keys worked on somebody else's van. Sure enough. So uh, they took me back and. Do you have a tattoo on your on your wrist, Mike? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You're. Yeah. What are these all of me? Can you explain some of these? Oh, this I'm a Cyberdyne System Model 101. So oh, this is right. actually just flesh over the top of a war chassis, right? Okay. So then I've got uh, the 34th Infantry out of Rosemont. I went to Iraq to see the troops for a couple weeks uh, in Basra, and uh, they keep going on and on and on. Is it full sleeve? Does it go all the way up? I think it goes all the way up to here, and then this one is kind of Milo Barbell Club, Milo Barbell, the it's a uh, hardcore, it's the steel apple that I designed. What do you so, mean you designed? Well, I designed this. I, I mean, I came up with the idea of the hardcore apple, so it's steel, it's made out of rivets and stuff, so it's a hardcore, it's a hardcore gym, right? Yeah. So is that I the logo for your gym? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's when I, when I had, uh, I still do. I still do. I still, did I show you Brock? I show, Lesner, I show you Lesnar. What about him? Oh, that that Lesnar guy. Um, whatever it was, Brock, right? Yeah, yeah famous wrestler. Yeah, he's, he's from Minnesota. Around. Yeah, I think I know him. I think uh, so. This is I'm gonna try and get this across. Uh, what do you have to say about Milo's strength? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Brock Lesnar, and the year is 2000. I was the NCAA heavyweight champion of the world. Met Mike Morris down in the Milo training facility, and here we are, 2016, back at it in Milo. This place rocks. This Mike Morris, can't thank you enough. Let's pump some iron, baby. <laughs> let's, yeah, let's talk about what you got going on now. You got this Milo, this gym. Well, I know I, 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 that was when I used to train people privately. I trained Brock for five years, and then oh, some. Wow. So, I, so I had him, and... Uh, you know a lot of the Viking players, and uh, but I I, I don't I, I'm at Lifetime now, so that'd be a, a conflict of interest. So I'm very very happy with the, the stuff I'm doing at Lifetime, and and with some of the, the schools and some of the different sports divisions that I'm trying to create for Lifetime right now, and and uh, onward and upward, right? I mean it's just the next thing and the next, and I got to meet up with a uh, young man this afternoon at uh, the University of Minnesota uh, at 1:40. So a little time time sensitive here, but. Um, so a lot of good things are happening, and I, I'm, you know, I'm getting, landing some full ride scholarships out of Shakopee, believe it or not. Uh, yeah, you, yeah. That program got turned around, and um, you said you bulked up a lot of the average pound. By I, think we, I think we averaged about twelve to fourteen pounds per player. And they were playing with the big dogs this year, the they, big schools. They had uh, big boy football going on in the six A division. Um, got got the, uh, you know deep into the playoffs, they went through Farmington and Totino Grace and. There was a phantom uh, call against uh, them with the uh, with Lakeville North. They lost nine to seven on a on a call that no one saw at all. Just it was a random. Uh, uh, I think it was uh, what was it? It was uh, pass interference. It was it was pass interference call and no one saw anything. So they lost the game nine to seven. They would have won uh, that game. I think ten uh, nine had things gone differently. But we know how football is. Lakeville North, they're, they're not a they're, joke program. They've, they've been top of the top for years now. They're a real deal. I mean, and so, I mean, the, they came off the ball better. They came out of the grass better. Their legs were strong. You know, we worked on the hip flexors and the, and the legs and the squats and the deadlifts and, and brought, you know, it's, it's a process. 
that it was a body what, of work. What are your core principles for this weight training that you could give to, to the listeners? Train progressively, not aggressively. Train by the book, train by the numbers, journal everything, know what you're doing and structure your strength peak and good things will happen. You always live to fight another day if, you, if you're able to, and so you can't get hurt in the gym and nurse something forever. Uh, you got to train by the numbers. By the numbers. And this probably more helped out their mental, so you got them tougher than that as well, and that also probably translates to the field then. Absolutely. I, I think it did. I hope it did. You know, I, I can take some of the credit uh, for their success. They get most of it, but I can take some by saying at least we got them stronger and gave them a chance to win. You know, they're a bigger, faster version of themselves. I think they held up better. I, I don't think they had a lot of uh, injuries uh, or muscle pulls, so that's, that's the way you train. And it gives them some more confidence, too. I think, I think they came out of the grass together, off the ball together, and not one guy at a time off the ball. They, they had a surge off the ball. Mm -hmm. It was very noticeable, I thought, this year. So I think, I think that's strength training. Is this a, a big passion for you to, to give back and then to share the knowledge and the experience you've had in your past to make a difference in, in these uh, athletes' lives? That's, it's everything to me. It literally is anything uh, that I ever really wanted to do after football. I did radio. Uh, I, I knew I, I, well, I didn't know, but I proved I could do radio. And, and I, I was doing the strength training all, all along. I'd get done with my morning radio show and train people then for the rest of the day. And I, I was the, the strength coach at Concordia University for four years for nine teams up there. And I, I love strength training. I really, I'm, I've been training for 46 years now. So, I mean, that's almost a half century of, of lifting. I lifted this morning at four in the morning. I mean, I, I still love doing it. Still love doing it. So I, I love to pass the, the torch down and, and hand them a good product that, that was given to me. You know, I, I learned from the Kenny Pateras and the Bruce Wilhelms and the Jim Mayers of the world, and I learned how to do it right. And uh, then I got certified, and I thought, I'll do this too. And I think what really separates you two is not um, just the, the expertise on it, the experience played in the NFL, but I assume also you're bringing this mindset, trying to put this in them too, huh? This believe you, you can mentor do it. that you mentor that you mentor and you become a mentor leader hopefully to these kids how to keep that ego in check how to how to handle yourself how to work with people and treat people with respect and uh, teach your and, and 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 take yourself seriously in, in in the regard that you need to respect yourself as well if you don't believe in yourself you can't really project that onto others but so that's I think that's important to instill that. So you do the best job you can in letting kids know that you've been there. It doesn't work that way. Don't get it in your head that it's this way. That's just you thinking to yourself too too much. Uh, make it simple. Keep it in perspective. And I try and give them that perspective of what it should be. So I think it's a mentoring thing too. I love it. Mr. Morris, as we kind of wrap up this podcast here, got a couple uh, final things. Um, a favorite quote something that you kind of live by or made a huge difference um uh the best book a book that maybe changed your life if you read not sure oh, i do i do a lot of reading i in, mean, in I mean my god i read dr seuss every day <laughs> does do anyone not know that dr seuss was a genius does anyone oh, yeah. know the beginner book story do i need to tell you what the beginner book story is I mean, 10 years ago, Dr. Seuss took 220 words, rhymed them, and turned out the cat in the hat. A little volume of absurdity that worked like a karate chop on the weary little world of Dick Jane and Spot. Ellen Goodman's Detroit Free Press, November 1966. From this magically right beginning came the concept of beginner books, exacting blends of words and pictures that encouraged children to read all by themselves. Hailed by elementary educators and remedial reading specialists, these enormously popular books are now used in schools and libraries throughout the English-speaking world. Oh, is that a radio spot? Right that's, that's a radio spot. Yeah. I still remember them, though. 
still remember them. I can do that for Dodge. <laughs> I can do that. I can do that. I can do that for a lot of different companies. But I read to kids uh, every two every Tuesday on our day off, so you just remember things. That's what helped me remember football plays. You know, I could always remember stuff. A book that's changed your life. A book that changed my life would be probably Tony Dungy's book. Um, I think a leader. Let's see, a mentor leader. I think it's called Mentor Leader. By Tony Dungy. Love that book. I love Tony Dungy. I had him here with the Vikings. I also love uh, Junction Boys by, I think it was Jim Dent that wrote that. My my head football coach with the Cardinals, Gene Stallings, wrote the foreword in that book. That meant a lot to me as well. A quote? A quote. Hmm. There's no box? <laughs> that's, mine. No that's, mine. Hey, hey, that, that's mine. That's mine. Hey, that's mine. I think I like that, that also you could go with, uh, I don't know. Dungy was always good for a lot of them. You know, oppor- you know, excuses will always be there. Opportunities won't. Tony Dungy, you know, little things. You know, talent is God-given. Uh, be thankful. Um, praise is man-given. Uh, be humble. Ego is self-given. Be careful. Tony Dungy. Yeah, I like those too. I like all of those. Amazing. Awesome. I, I really took... I really took a lot from this, and it's it's amazing how similar mindsets attract and personalities, and and I love I love the no box idea. I love living, being who you are, and doing good. You gotta be a good person, know what I mean. But then live how you want to live, and good things will happen. Good people will come around you, and, and things will work out, right? I think it will work out. I mean, just you don't give up, and it's amazing what a difference twenty four hours can make. Give it a chance. You can change around in one day. One phone call. Keep fighting the good fight. Good things come to good people who work hard. So stay the course. Awesome. Jake, you had some final words? Yeah, that was awesome. I loved it. I oh, it. Great I stories. Thank yeah, you. I appreciate it too. Thanks for coming. Uh, I, I loved it. And uh, what a great space you guys have here. What a, what a beautiful setting you guys have to do a, a podcast. And uh, anytime, anytime we can get together and match stories, let's do it, okay? Awesome. Oh, yeah, and we're going to be in touch too because uh, we actually have – people in the, the Bull Perceptions community that work with Lifetime. I know we've talked on the side about um, uh, connecting you guys, and that's what we're doing here at, at Bull Perceptions. And we'd appreciate it if you would be open to, uh, let's say someone was inspired by this or, or wants to ask you a question, if you would uh, be able to exchange uh, information with them, if, if they hit you up. That's, uh, that'd be fantastic. Or they can give you a list of the questions, and I can come on and answer those for you right here on the that'd podcast. That'd be great. Right that'd here on the great. podcast. If they do... Uh, uh, you know, you've scouted out 8, 10, 12 different questions that, they, that we may have festered here. Then uh, I'll come in and answer those one at a time. Give us a part two. Yeah, you part got two. part two. Fantastic. Thank you so Let's much, Mr. Morris. I learned a lot Thank today. you, guys. I appreciate it. I really do. Nick, Jake, uh, I appreciate it. So uh, let's do it again. Sounds great to me. Thank you. Until next time.